Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number one of Revelation chapter six. And we're going to begin reading in chapter five, and I'll read the last two verses, verses thirteen and fourteen. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth for ever and ever. And in this um, glorious picture that God is giving us, all of heaven, the complete kingdom of God, is praising and worshiping the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and declaring His worthiness to receive the blessing, honor, glory, and power that is due unto Him. Well, um, now let's read in chapter 6, and we'll read the first two verses. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, The noise of thunder, one of the four beasts or living creatures, saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, uh, we're getting to the loosing of the seven seals that had bound the book in the right hand of the one seated upon the throne, eternal God. And we'll find as the first four seals are removed from that book, which can only be a reference to the word of God, the Bible, that one of the four living creatures will be involved in the loosing or the opening of the first four seals. And also, we'll see that uh, there is um, different colored horses that will uh, be in view with each one of the first four seals. And just to give an overview concerning these four seals, they really are describing God's overall program of salvation and judgment for the New Testament era, including the church age and um, the first two seals will deal with the church age especially. And then uh, one of the seals will um, deal with the Great Tribulation period. And the fourth seal will focus upon the day of judgment, the time we're presently living in. The opening of these seals really relates to the program of God for salvation and judgment throughout the New Testament era, the church age, the great tribulation, and judgment day, the time of the end. And then the final three seals, well, they get into... Uh, things related to that, but uh, we we don't read that one of the living creatures 
open up the fifth, sixth, or seventh seal, and, and we also do not read of a horse that is involved with the opening of those seals. It's these first four seals that have one of the four living creatures and a colored horse of some kind uh, that that comes into view. Well, in verse 1 of Revelation 6, when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, the Apostle John is continuing to write as he's uh, moved by the Holy Spirit, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four living creatures saying, Come and see. The noise of thunder accompanies the opening of the first seal. Now, why would that be? Well, let's turn to Job chapter 37, and we'll see how God relates thunder to himself and to his his voice. In Psalm 37, beginning in verse 2, it says, Hear attentively the noise of his voice, and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. He directeth it under the whole heaven, and his lightning unto the ends of the earth. After it a voice roareth, he thundereth with the voice of his excellency, and he will not stay them when his voice is heard. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he, which we cannot comprehend. Thunder is that booming sound that we hear in the sky, in the heaven above. And uh, it, it can be frightening loud. It, it can be so loud that uh, uh, people get nervous. And, and it is a good illustration. And God, of course, is the one who created in the physical realm thunder, and God is the one who likens thunder to his voice in the spiritual realm. Thunder is powerful, and so too is the word of God, the voice of God, that which comes forth out of his mouth. As we read in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You see, the word of God is said to be powerful, just like the sound of thunder. And in Revelation 6, verse 1, when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and the Apostle John heard, as it were, the sound or the noise of thunder. One, and and then um, it says, one of the four living beasts saying, come and see. And so the seal, the first seal, is removed from the Bible, and then thunder is heard, and thunder relates to the voice of God. And and so that makes um, perfect sense, because the seals coming off the Bible will release. Uh, what will they release? They will release the truth that has been hidden in the Scripture, that God himself has hidden. And when the seals are removed and the Scriptures are 
loose in a sense or set free and God's people are now able to hear them and understand them. It is as though the voice of God is booming and and we actually were witnesses to this as God uh, opened up the the seals from the word of God at the beginning of the great tribulation and he um, set in motion doctrines that came forth from his word that his people heard and these doctrines uh, went all across the face of the earth with a mighty sound the end of the church age sounded loud um, to to the ears of many the declaration of judgment day beginning on may 21 2011 was a powerful sound that went through all the world and 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 so we can see why god is likening the removal of the first seal with the noise of thunder and now one of the living uh, four living creatures is beckoning to the apostle john and and uh, in turn also to us come and see let's let's go see what is being said here in verse 2 and i saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer and here we we see this sight of one seated upon a white horse with a bow now the bow uh, like a sword can be likened to the uh, word of god and and the things that god speaks we read in psalm 7 in verse 11 God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. Now, the sword and bow are synonymous in that verse, and the sword um, relates to the word of God. It's a weapon in the hand of God to destroy. Likewise, a bow is a weapon in God's hand uh, that he can use to destroy. And the Lord Jesus is seated upon a white horse with a bow. And the, the horse, um, as we search the Bible for understanding concerning what a horse might represent, the horse represents strength in psalm 147 it says in verse 10 he delighteth not in the strength of the horse he taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man and we we can quickly see how it is that a horse is a figure of strength it's a very strong animal and men have uh, rode horses into battle for thousands of years they they have charged uh riding upon a horse towards their enemy many of them also upon horses and and god speaks of the fearlessness of a horse charging into battle in the book of job and the 
um, terribleness of a horse's nostrils as he uh, goes full bore, riding at a fast speed uh, right into the enemy who may have spears and swords pointed at him, and yet there is uh, no fear. The horse uh, is carrying its rider uh, into the fray, into the battle, and the rider here is seated upon a white horse, and white in the Bible points to holiness and purity, and and it points to that without sin. And that helps us to realize that the rider must be Christ himself, the Lord Jesus. He has to be the one that is seated upon such uh, a horse, a white horse. And um, we have confirmation of this in the book of Revelation in chapter 19 in verse 11. And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There, there's no doubt, no question that the Lord Jesus is the one seated and riding upon a white horse in Revelation 19 into the battle of judgment day. Now, uh, in Revelation 6, the scene is different. Uh, it is Christ. Uh, yes, who is seated upon the horse. It is the same white horse, but it is not the battle that comes uh, at the end of the world uh, during the day of judgment, again, which we're currently living through. But the battle in view here in Revelation 6 verse 2 is the battle uh, that God's kingdom fought, that Christ fought against Satan and the kingdom of darkness, the battle that raged for centuries throughout the entire New Testament church age and and even beyond, but especially during that period of time. We find that a crown was given unto him, as we read in Revelation 19, that name was written uh, upon his vesture and thigh that he was king of kings and lord of lords. Christ is king over all and and he is the supreme ruler of all heavenly kingdoms and all earthly kingdoms. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. This is the a victorious sending forth of the gospel 
as Christ was uh, victorious when he rose from the dead to demonstrate as as his whole entry into the human race and going to the cross was a demonstration in itself. So also was the rising from the dead a demonstration of his overcoming of sin and Satan and his victory that uh, that he had overcome death itself. And God then sent forth the word of God, the news concerning this victory, concerning the resurrection of Christ and, and salvation available in him into all the world, into the darkness of this world, into Satan's kingdom, into the nations that uh, had not previously heard that a great light began to shine. And and this is the picture here as the Lord is going forth conquering. The word conquer is the word translated as overcome. Um, we've seen several times already in the book of Revelation. And it's the same word that was translated as prevailed back in Revelation 5, verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed or conquered to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. The victory of the Lord Jesus, the lamb that was slain and rose from the dead, is what causes the gospel also to be victorious and to conquer. Christ conquered the kingdom of Satan. He bound the strong man at the cross. And and this enabled him to ransack his house, to ransack his kingdom. Now, it was just not God's plan to save a great multitude throughout the 1955 years of the church age. It, it was God's plan to save a good number of individuals. We don't know how many, but it was not, as we would think, a, any uh, an incredibly large number. But uh, it was all uh, that God wanted to be saved. There was never a single individual who was born and lived and, and then died and somehow was one of God's elect and missed out on that salvation that Christ had uh, purchased for him. No, it was always the case whenever an elect person was born into the world that the Lord God sent forth the gospel and reached that individual, no matter where they happened to be found in the world, if they were an elect, God made sure that the gospel reached that person's ears and God blessed his word to their heart and saved that individual, thereby conquering and and showing forth the victory of Christ. The fact that um, just a certain number were saved, as the Bible likens the figure to 144,000, of course there was many more than that, but that doesn't mean that the gospel was any less victorious. Everyone to be saved was saved. And that makes uh, 
God's program of evangelization during the church age a success in that sense. Well, now uh, we we read here in verses 3 and 4 of Revelation 6, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Now, we we wonder, well, who is this rider? Uh, who Who is this individual that is seated upon a horse, a red horse? And the, this rider seems to oppose the first rider. He seems to be doing things contrary than the Lord Jesus who is upon the white horse. And we would be correct in understanding that. This rider of the red horse is going to battle with the rider of the white horse. We can know that due to the fact that it says that uh, he was taking peace from the earth. And who who is peace? The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, chapter 2, it says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. The Lord Jesus is our peace. The Lord Jesus makes peace between God and man. Previously, there is enmity. There, there is warfare raging between God and the sinner, the sinner who has dared to rebel against his king, eternal God. And Christ is able to uh, to reconcile this situation with certain ones chosen by God himself before the world's foundation to be reconciled, to receive the salvation of God, to have their sins forgiven. And you see in the the picture of the rider of the white horse, where Christ is going forth conquering and to conquer, we understood that to relate to the sending forth of the gospel. And what is the sending forth of the gospel? But what another parable pictures it as, the sowing of seed. It is... Um, casting the word of God left and then to the right, sowing the seed of God's word upon the hearts of men here and there, indiscriminately, not knowing who are these elect. The word of God went forth to all that would hear it. And the the word of God conquered whenever it reached the ears of one of those chosen individuals. And and God also 
um, had his word accomplish other purposes as those that brought it uh, and the word itself are the savor of life unto life to those that are chosen to life and the savor of death unto death. And even in that, as God's word would pronounce judgment, there was victory. And and yet the rider on the red horse went forth after the rider on the white horse. And he had a mission and purpose not to help men, not to save men, not to deliver any men. No, this rider on the red horse is Satan. This is the devil, as we read in Revelation chapter 12, in verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. The dragon, Satan, is the one that identifies with the color red, just as Christ identifies with the color white. White for the purity and holiness of Christ. Red for the devil and and for his opposition to the Lord Jesus. Satan is the writer that is doing spiritual battle with Christ as Christ sows seeds that that can produce fruit, that can produce peace between God and man, Satan comes to take peace from the earth, to remove the seed sown upon men's hearts. Satan comes in battle by uh, bringing other kinds of gospels, other doctrines. He tries to change the word of God to pervert the grace of God, to twist the truth of the Bible and to turn it to a lie. This is why it says in Revelation 6, 4, that and there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword The sword in the Bible is likened to the Word of God. A two-edged sword is uh, used to figure God's Word. Well, Satan also takes up a sword. Satan also takes up the Word of God. He comes looking like Christ. He comes looking like a lamb, but he speaks as a dragon. He comes handling the word of God uh, through his emissaries who have infiltrated the churches and congregations as he has sowed tares amongst the wheat. And they come preaching the word of God and and teaching things that, that sound good. They sound wonderful. Uh, doesn't it sound wonderful to hear that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Oh, that's so great, That that's so excellent that God loves me. And yet it's a lie. The, the, the one proclaiming that has no idea if God loves you or not. God doesn't love everyone in a saving sense. He only loves his people. And, and so um, through these deceitful weapons 
the the twisting and turning of God's word by doing violence to the law of God. Satan is able to kill those that hear these type of gospels spiritually and and he possesses this great sword and uh, yes we'd have to say it is a great sword just look at the numbers of professing christians today 